listening to Ouija Broads. This is Devin. This is Liz. Liz, I have a story for you. I have an urban legend for you, in fact. Oh my gosh, that's the best kind of story. It's such a good kind of story, and I'm going to tell it to you as though it were story time. So we'll get into okay. where you get to chime in with your thoughts on how ridiculous this is shortly. I'll chime in with my thoughts when I damn well, please. <laughs> that's why I married you. <laughs> like a woman that knows her own mind. Are you ready for it? Could I ever be? You can always be. You were born okay. ready. I think you were My born body premature. That's how, your body is ready. Good God. I don't know how to handle you. <laughs> Actually, I do. It's with two hands. <laughs> Liz. Yes. On a warm evening in 1960, two high school sweethearts drive the Coastal Highway 101 just near Cannon Beach in Oregon. I've been there. I've been there as well. <gasps> well, they pull off on a side road kill the engine, and sit a while. And, of course, they do what horny high school teenagers do. But Mm -hmm. as they're becoming amorous, they feel the car shift as though it was rocked from side to side. Well, that's what what teenagers do does to a car. Don't come a-knocking, famously. It was either that or maybe it was just the settling of the car on its shocks as they shift around inside. So, Are they on the beach proper? They're on a side road overlooking the beach. Okay, okay. So it's not the sand. It's not the sand. They aren't, in this legend, they aren't going to get stuck in the sand as they have to peel out. Because, Liz, (gasps) they are going to have to peel out quite shortly. Because as they continue to fool around, the girl happens to glance out the back window of the truck. There, pressed against the window, is the horrific, leering, tortured face of a bloodied man covered all in bandages. Ah, no. The bandaged specter begins to yell and to pound on the back window as the teenagers scream and scramble to start the car. And finally, the boy gets the truck to roar to life and they peel out, racing down the highway toward his family's service station, which is just off the highway near Cannon Beach. The man continues to pound on the back window, and he finally fractures okay, the Okay, because he's, like, in, in the truck he's bed. He's in the truck bed, Liz. Okay, he's, I was like, how are they getting there. away from him if he's not, if he's... Okay, okay, so he's in the truck bed, but they're like, go. They're speeding away, but okay. he's Scooby-Doo'd against the window. He's stuck in this in this, in this truck bed, you know? And they're, they're trying to drive away from him, but of course, as I said, he's in the truck bed, and he's pounded this window until it's fractured, and now they can smell the stench of his rotted flesh, and it, it oh smells God. of putrefaction and decay, and they're flying down the highway with their gruesome guest in tow, and they finally skid to a halt, thank God. God in his parents' service station's gravel driveway. They screech to a halt, gravel flies, and they explode out of the cab, scrambling to get away from this tortured, bandaged, deranged man in the bed of the truck. But as they turn an anguished glance back toward their vehicle, the bandaged man has vanished, leaving behind a spider-webbed crack in the window glass and a rotten, foul-smelling scrap of bandage in the truck bed. That was considerate of him. (laughs) Liz, this is the urban legend of Cannon Beach's Bandage Man. Bandage Man, oh my god. You've heard about him, I assume, living in Oregon. I've heard about him just 
because of the Ouija broads effect where Excellent. anytime I see something that's like 15 weird stories from the Northwest, I'm like, well, I have to click. And then I'm like, yeah, yeah. D.B. Cooper. Yeah, yeah. Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, I have, I think in weird Oregon, I've heard of Bandage Man, but I hadn't heard that specific version of the story. I had... Well, this is my specific version of the story is an amalgamation. This is a story that I wrote for you to tell on air. Yeah, you wrote that? Well, yeah, but I mean, it's great. It's all come together from all of mm-hmm. the different versions of this urban legend. I actually heard about it from... So, you, yeah, you had heard it through the Ouija Broad effect. I was first introduced to the idea of the Bandage Man through the That's Weird podcast. We follow oh. them and they follow us on Instagram. And as far as I can tell, there are other ladies that are talking about weird stuff in the United States. So I haven't listened to their episode. That's weird. I just want to thank you for bringing this to my attention because you sent me then down just a general rabbit hole of urban legends, which I always love because they remind me of elementary school. Yeah. There's something about urban legends that I think are probably ubiquitous across everyone's second through fifth grade life experience. <laughs> yes. It's our oral tradition. It is it's our, our culture oral of elementary tradition, school. Right? You get, you know, the girl with the, uh, the green ribbon mm-hmm. and you get uh, Bloody Mary is another urban legend. Mm-hmm. So the bandage man, as far as urban legend go has been around since 1960. So a variation of the story that I just told you has been around since then. It's just kind of the the base model. Yeah, it sounds like a regional variant on the the hook hand. Absolutely. Urban legend. Absolutely. And those are both examples of what's called a lover's lane urban legend. And oh, wow. So there's like a taxonomy of this. There is. There are genres of urban legends. There are people that study urban legends. I want to be one of these people. But these Ooh. people kind of categorize them. So a lover's lane urban legend, of course, centers on a pair of lovers are typically the, if not protagonists, they're who the legend happens to. And what mm-hmm. you find in lover's lane urban legends is, of course, they have a very moralistic, cautionary tale theme or or moral that you're trying to to tell you're trying to impart this morality on the people who are hearing this story which is usually don't go fuck in a car off the side road if they hadn't been distracted by each other they would have seen him approach if they hadn't been up there isolated he wouldn't have been able to get at them exactly so Yeah. yeah You mentioned The Hook as an urban legend that this Mm -hmm. sounds like, which you're totally right. The Hook is actually believed to stem probably from the 1946 Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Oh. And that was, of course, where eight people were attacked. Eight. So four pairs, eight people total, were attacked in cars in the city of Texarkana in 1946. Five of them died. Only three of them lived. The Zodiac picked on couples, sometimes too. He did, yeah. Really often targeted couples. And I think that was one of the things that I I haven't, I don't think I've read about the Zodiac Killer since Jake Gyllenhaal did that awesome movie about it. (laughs) But wasn't that one of the the thoughts about the the folks investigating him was that he was not a spurned lover, but he, he must have had some kind of like, he hated, he was like a red pillar. He hated women and he hated the chads that could get the women, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's a theory. That's a, a, a thing as well that they speculate about the Golden State Killer. Oh, I don't that, know about him. Oh, also known as the East Area Rapist oh. or the original Night Stalker. Gotcha. Yeah, and I won't use the Reddit term for him because we don't shame people for parts of their body that they have no control over. Gotcha. But, yeah, I just read Michelle McNamara's excellent recent crime book, Mm. I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And, yeah, one of the things is that he would sometimes target couples in his home invasions. And one of the things that they're thinking about when they're trying to understand what his motivation might be is maybe it's actually not about hurting the woman. Yeah. Maybe it's about humiliating the, the man. man. Yeah, because that was yeah. part of his MO, wasn't it? That he would mm-hmm. force the man to watch whatever it was he did to the woman. He would make um, them or, listen. And yeah. Had to okay. be in the other room. Okay. Know? Ugh, God. So freaky. Mm. so freaky yeah well i guess why bandage man made me think of the hook hand is in both cases there's the lover's lane element and then there's the frantic flight but Mm -hmm. then there's also the escape but then evidence but so yes you're not left with that like did they just have a weird hallucination it's like no they're he did do damage, yes. but they've escaped for now. Yes. And that's actually a hallmark of an urban legend in general, is that there's some sort of of evidence, there's some tangible object that hmm. lends credence to the story. And that can be like, there was some bandage or there was a hook. But it could also be that there's that plausibility indicator of, oh, this happened to my cousin's friend. Ah, yeah. So you're hearing it from someone that you trust, and the fact that they heard it from someone they trust kind of, it it makes this umbrella of trust. So now you're willing to kind of give the tale more weight than you would have otherwise, because honestly, if anybody that wasn't you told me that a smelly bandage man got in the back of their truck and, you know, was upset because they were making out, I'd probably not believe them. Do you feel like the internet has made you more or less skeptical about stuff like this? I don't know that I can separate the internet from growing older. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Because I definitely would have believed this in the second grade. Are you kidding me? I would have (laughs) so, so been all over this. I mean, because, you know, obviously, like I told you before, that the big kids convinced me that there was a Dracula living underneath my elementary school that got there (laughs) through the tunnels to the Haunt Mansion. So I am fairly, I don't want to say gullible, but I'm very willing to give people the benefit of the doubt that their words are factual or that (laughs) they believe their words. Mm -hmm. But I would definitely say I'm more skeptical as I'm older, and I think... yeah. Part of that skepticism comes from feeling like I can't trust anything on the internet. I was thinking about this because I had clicked through on something that actually was, it was pretending to be a site that I read before, but it had just showed up as like a Facebook algorithm link. Oh, weird. And it was some horror story about like a tampon recall. And as I clicked through... It would like you could watch the barometer of my disbelief just go up and up and up as I clicked through more and more pages. And finally, I was like, no, this is nonsense, right? About the time where it was like, you may have already won. And I'm like, no, I can't even like finish this story to see what the point is. You're right. But yeah, I hope people are very skeptical in 2018 yeah. of stuff that they read on the internet and how fake it can be. But I feel like don't just be skeptical, but also have some 
critical thinking about the stories that you encounter. Like, if this were true, who would be telling me? Who who knows about this? How would they have gotten their story out there? Like the Bandage Man story, you're like, oh, okay. So the teens could have told people or they could have told their family. Yeah. This thing and that thing. Like, we have eyewitnesses who survived. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's always a, like, there were no survivors. Yeah. Well, then who told you the story? Like, yeah. Think ob- about it. Yeah. <laughs> a story that has that in it, you, I think you automatically should be suspicious of. Yeah. Well, and you, mm-hmm. I mean, you bringing up the internet is fantastic because that is how people who study urban legends say that urban legends are starting to morph. They used to be hmm. word of mouth and there were some hallmarks of an urban legend and that they were... They either had an element of fear or humor, but regardless, they were trying to elicit an emotional response. And you, you know, can yeah. pretty easily do that through fear or humor. There's a punchline. Yeah. Whether it's like a scary one or a funny one. I'd never thought about fear having a punchline, but I think you're absolutely right. There's a mm-hmm. obvious punctuation there that brings it all together. Oh, God, you're so smart. Uh, <laughs> but so they, they had that, that, emotional response they were trying to get they had a plausibility indicator which is the evidence or the it happened to someone that you know uh there wasn't usually a stated goal it wasn't and that's why you always leave a note but it was implied that there was an action you should or shouldn't take and that a lot of times had a morality bent and then yeah sometimes uh not always but you could usually trace it back you could trace the essence of the story back to a factual route like the Texarkana murders. And it's mm-hmm. it's like a game of telephone where that story just gets morphed throughout the retellings and through the years. It gets embellished. It gets changed. It has a regional variation. It has mm. a, a personal bias bent based on storytellers. So those were the word-of-mouth urban legends that kind of morphed into types of urban legends. So you had Lover's Lane, you had phantom hitchhikers and gang initiations, and you had satanic panic stuff. But with the Mm -hmm. internet, they have new tropes. They have new types that you find. And Mm -hmm. they mirror the word of mouth urban legends, of course. But because it's the internet, you can reach a different, broader audience. Yeah. You end up with different types of crime stories. So, like, you see that one all the time. I hate this one. But there's a an FBI agent said that here are the ways that you can most likely prevent being raped. Wear overalls. Don't put your hair in a ponytail. Yeah. Always do these things. You know, they're using fear. They are trying to get you to take a certain action or unaction. And there is kind of a morality bent in terms of making you feel like maybe it's a little bit your fault maybe if you yeah, just exactly. had a ponytail yeah right right because if you read a hundred lists about things not to do in order well things that you should do to prevent being raped and then you hear mm-hmm. about somebody being raped and you've done any one of those things and you can convince yourself then it never would have happened to you totally totally like oh well i would never go to a lover's lane so i'm fine yeah I would never pick Bandage up a hitchhiker. Never get me. He can never get you, Liz. He can never get you. Well, and that was that was an interesting part of the Bandage Man, too, is that often this story was told with a pair of young lovers who either had a truck or they had a convertible. 
So there was some kind of way that Bandage Man had easy access. He could either get mm-hmm. in the bed of the truck or he could reach them through the open top of this convertible, which has a different kind of interesting morality slant. You know, with the truck, you mm-hmm. can think Oregon right then was going through a big... I mean, logging was king. It was yeah, the industry. Snowy owl days. Oh, totally. You could infer or I guess imply that, well, don't go making out with boys with trucks. And it could mm-hmm. be coming from a parent who doesn't want their daughter to marry a dude who's a logger, you know, a laborer kind of thing. Or it's Yeah, it's so funny because the yeah, the truck version has this sort of blue collar mm-hmm. farming mm-hmm. rural implication. And then the convertible, you immediately picture like 50s and you know john travolta's character in greece or or john travolta's character in pulp fiction (laughs) yes (laughs) just any of john travolta's characters really john travolta's character in welcome back cotter (laughs) yeah so it's interesting though you can you can easily change these based on your own what do I want you to do or not do? It's just one mm-hmm. little detail that can help sway you to my way of thinking. But I loved that there was this idea of urban legends morphing with the internet and the fact that you brought that to light. That, like, are you more or less, not gullible, but are you more or less mm, skeptical thanks to the mm-hmm. internet? Uh, And that's something that urban legend researchers, again, have said was that with the internet, it's way easier to disseminate urban legends or Mm -hmm. fake stories or morality tales or whatever you want to call them. But it's also now it should be much easier to discredit them. You know, you do have sites like Snopes (laughs) that that make it their job to discredit things like this or to find the root of it and tell you what parts are maybe based in reality and what parts are probably embellishments. Right. Uh, so speaking of dissemination and urban legends, have you read much about Slenderman? <laughs> He's in my notes as a as an example of a modern urban legend and one that was started by people and disseminated through the internet. But other than yes. being creeped the fuck out by him, I don't know much about him. I would rather hear your words on Slenderman. I was there. You that were there. Very day. <laughs> when Slender Man was created. No, but I want was it uh, something awful for us. Oh, something awful. No, it, that's it was right. Something awful. And something awful, children, mm-hmm. back 10 to 15 years ago was sort of the the meme generator for a lot yeah. of stuff before I think we were even really calling it memes totally. a lot of the time. But, you know, in my high school and college days, it was the site where you know, all your base and this and that would sort of spawn from. And one of the things that they were really known for was Photoshop threads. Yes. And this was a thread in GBS general bullshit called let's make creepy images or something along those lines. And people were using their Photoshop skills. Yeah. For the most part to make Existing images have creepy components. Yeah. And Slenderman, I don't, it wasn't the first thing that came up. And I don't even think it was like clearly the winner of the thread or anything. But the first couple images that people did, and then, you know, they'd write like a little fake caption for it. Yeah. People liked it. And so I think one or two other people made Slenderman things. Yeah. And I never thought 
that it would turn into such a thing that now people have gotten killed over. And yes, that blows my mind yes. because I'm like, I watched that happen. Like I didn't watch somebody make it in the Photoshop program, but like this was just another goofball posting yeah. bullshit on the internet and it could have been anything. Yeah. But I think one of the things that Slender Man has going is that, I think early on in The Legend of Slenderman, the logic became that the thing you're not supposed to do is not don't have sex or don't go outside at night. Yeah. It's don't think about him. And oh. that creates this sort of feedback loop of how do you, you know, how do you not think about a pink elephant? Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, the running joke at the time was that he represented everything the forum users were afraid of. He was a slim man with a job, because <laughs> he wears a suit. <laughs> but I think from there it became the the YouTube series Marble Hornets, which I understand was pretty well done. I didn't watch it. Okay. But it's really spread out into completely its own thing at this point, where I feel like Slender Man has as much of a presence as Bloody Mary. Oh, totally. And... It just came from one tiny seed, one one thread with one image. Mm -hmm. I was taking trash out to the dumpster in Durham a couple years okay. ago, and there were some kids who were probably between the ages of maybe seven to ten, and one of them said, let's play Slender Man. And I just, like, stopped because I wanted to hear this. I'm like, how does one play yes. Slender Man? Yes. And here, here's how one does it. Okay. You say, Slender Man, you are ratchet. <laughs> Slender Man, your mom's a hoe. You, you just read Slender Man. You just roast him, apparently. Read him to filth. Yeah, that's how you end Slender Man. And I was baffled by this that I'm like, again, this is clearly like somebody got enough of Slender Man in their mind to like understand that there's some kind of threat. Right. And then from there came up with this approach of like, here's how you play Slender Man blew my mind i thought it was hilarious <laughs> and i've encountered since then like um i think i've talked to people at work who's like whose teenagers know about mm -hmm. it or are scared of it mm -hmm. and i'm just like i get it but mm -hmm. it's amazing to me this is why i try not to bitch about getting older because it's wonderful because you get to see things grow and change yeah. and have some context yeah but bloody mary must have started the same way right i think you're but right for once we actually have the internet lets us have a snapshot of when that right. actually happened right no i think bloody mary you know it was some kid's older brother sick and tired mm. of their sleepover noise and yeah came up with this on the cuff or off the cuff, I guess. And it became through the grapevine that is elementary school, a thing and somehow got disseminated far and wide. And I love that with, like you said, slender man and the internet. No, you can pinpoint it. You can actually say, here's where it started. This is the nucleus. Yeah. How? Yeah. Before this day, there was cool. no slender man. Mm -hmm. And after this, there was, I won't go into great detail because it's a little too crimey in here already, but yeah, there were two young women, two teenage girls, in some sort of folie à deux, or maybe just one of them was not mentally well and the other one was kind of wrapped up in the fantasy. Yeah. Because, like, I was friends with a pathological liar when I was mm -hmm. in seventh grade. Like, you can't full-time just be like, that doesn't sound right. No, no, you can't. I don't think that's true. No, like... 
Lydia is on a kick right now with a friend of hers where they think there's a whole magical world behind a certain crack in the floor of their daycare. And Matt was slightly puzzled by this. And I'm like, this is a major part of little girl socialization. Uh-huh. I don't know why. Uh-huh. Is shared reality that doesn't yeah. match the world around you. Yeah. And yeah, there were unfortunately two teenagers who got into that and it convinced them that they were going to make an offering to Slender Man and then go live with him. Right. And so they stabbed one of their friends. And yeah. She lived, fortunately. But yeah. Good God. Yeah. I have... I remember Jonah being into Slender Man, or at least knowing who he was for a minute. Um, and then my buddy, Anne-Marie, that beautiful model that I work with. Yeah. She has a Slender Man tattoo, and I made her a oh little stuffed Slender Man for Halloween. He's very cute. He's very <laughs> adorable. Slender Man, I think, was a really smart, a really smart image if you're trying to freak people out, because I've, I've told you before about the night terrors that I have, and they're yeah. usually of people who are human or humanoid, but there's something just enough off about their humanity that makes them absolutely grotesquely, viscerally disturbing. And I think Slenderman does that because he's a human. Mm-hmm. He's just slightly elongated. And if I remember correctly, yeah. he you don't really see facial features. Right? Right. He's just got sort of a blank face. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that I think he can be, well, he can be anything because he's an urban legend now. Yeah. But traditionally, he could either be just slightly elongated or grotesquely elongated. Okay. But either way, it's a sort of uncanny valley mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. where you're like, this is all the way wrong mm-hmm. from what I expected. And he has like, I feel like you can pinpoint some contemporary references. Like, I think he has some components of the gentleman from Buffy. Definitely reminds me of that. Or, or like, other characters that Doug Jones has played, probably. Yeah, exactly. Your boyfriend has played. Anything kind of Pan's Labyrinth-y has that. But no, I get it. Like, have you ever seen pictures of Minute Bull? I think is how you say his name. No, who's that? Well, maybe I have. I'm not sure I should tell you. Uh, he was uh, a Sudanese-born American basketball player who was seven foot seven inches tall. Every time I look at a picture of him, I'm just stressed out by it. I'm just very stressed out by it, and I'm, I'm not okay. Okay, I'm, I'm looking, looking at pictures my, of him now. Yes, can you hear my clicking? Mm-hmm. That man is too long. That man yeah. is too many limbs. Stop it. Yes. He's just a gentle giant, like Andre, but you're just like, no, no, it's a spider. No. Yeah, yeah. Slender Man, Bandage Man, mm-hmm. Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another modern one that really freaks me out since we're going to talk about it is, have you heard about the black-eyed children? Yes. Oh, don't let them in. Don't let them in. That's another one that plays off the, like you said, the kind of uncanny valley, because if you don't know what the black-eyed mm-hmm. children is, they, they've been around since about the 1990s, and it was... Kind of the era when we decided that kids could be creepy, I think. Mm-hmm. Black-Eyed Children is an urban legend where the the monster or the bad thing in it is a kid who's between the ages of 6 and 16, has pale skin and black eyes. In some urgent urban legends, it's the iris and the pupil are just all one big black uh, disc or it's mm-hmm. in some other legends, it's like a shark eye, you know, where the whole thing, there are no whites of the eyes. So they kind of have this like vampiric in nature 
appearance with their their pale skin and they kind of moodily slink around. But yeah, like you said, you don't let them in. The idea is that you would have your door knock or your doorbell ring one day and you'd open the door and there would be these kids out there and they would ask you for something. They'd ask for water or to use your phone or for some food. But ultimately what they want you to do is invite them in. And if you invite them in, bad things happen. I don't know that we know what bad things happen because if you invited them in, you wouldn't be around to tell the tale. Yeah, and that's the uh, whole thing with Slenderman, too, is mm-hmm. I'm sure there are versions of it that are specific about what the problem is with him. <laughs> yeah. In the original version, I think he just stole kids. Yeah. And so, under that premise, if you're not a kid, you shouldn't have much to worry about. Right. But clearly, that's not how it has evolved. No. No. Now anybody can be taken, I suppose, or mm-hmm. whatever Slendy does. They can they can yeah. have that bad thing happen. I like when you yeah. said that the idea behind it was that you just you don't think about him. Mm-hmm. Um it's like how you just lost the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, were you trying to stress me out? You just lost the game, Liz. Because you thought about everybody the game. just lost the game. Everybody listening that's listening. Sorry, y'all just lost the game. <laughs> I don't know why. I think I might be the only person that still plays that. <laughs> but there's another thing born of the internet, right? Where okay. it became this weird cultural phenomenon just by being in a forum somewhere. Someone decided that this was what the game was, and it has yeah. now morphed into a worldwide phenomenon. Sometimes I think this is a way to exert kind of that dominance over somebody else mm-hmm. to be like, oh, you haven't heard of this. Oh, let me explain it to you. Definitely. And then I'm going to have been doing it longer than you. Definitely. And I knew about it. Yeah. You kind of get yeah. to, you get to be the, um, what is it? I forget what it's called, but you get to be the person that introduced them to it. And so you feel mm-hmm. definitely very cool for being like, well, I liked Arcade Fire before you did, but yes. <laughs> I'm glad that I introduced you to their discography, I guess. Yes, I'm the expert, mm-hmm. and you are the acolyte, and mm-hmm. that is our dynamic now. Mm-hmm. I win. You win. I knew about the thing. So is Bandage Man uniquely an Oregon thing or a Northwestern thing? It's, Bandage Man is an Oregon thing. He's specific hmm. to that tiny little stretch of Highway 101 near Cannon Beach. Okay, so we yeah. can class him with, like, the, the Rathdrum witches and Polybius. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a specific entity, a specific legend, a specific whatever it is, you know, whether you think it's mm-hmm. real or a ghost or or fake or whatever, but it he's tied to a location. Are ghosts and cryptids really, um, are they urban legends or are they something different? No, I think there's something different. I don't know that, I mean, they don't. Ghosts and cryptids don't really have the hallmarks of that urban legend. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I guess I don't feel like I'm smart enough to enunciate the difference between them. I've I've been reading a book. <laughs> I've been reading this book, and I can't remember what the hell it's called. But <laughs> I will link it someplace where it says that in some ways, ghost stories are our way of engaging with the past in a way that's narratively satisfying. So, for instance, one of the things this book brings up, yes, it's called Ghostland in American History in Haunted Places by Colin Dickey. And one of the things that he argues is that ghost stories let us sort of resolve and formalize some of our feelings about historical places. Okay. So, for instance, 
in New Orleans, the whole Madame LaLaurie story. Are you familiar? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, the legend that she, like, tortured her slaves. Oh, yes. Yes. And so there's a couple elements of that. So Colin is also, like, the joy killer. Because <laughs> Colin goes through, like, that and the Winchester Mystery House yeah. and that ghost that testified to where his will was. <laughs> and basically is like, mm, let's see what actual evidence there is. But one of the things that Colin points out that I think is very apt is that if we make Madame LaLaurie an outlier, mm -hmm. then we can pretend that her terrible treatment of enslaved Black people was the exception. We can oh. pretend that's a way that we can make ourselves feel more comfortable because the opposite of Madame LaLaurie is the nice slave owner. Right. 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 And so they talk about things like, oh, you know, she cut their ears off. Well, that was legal for a runaway mm -hmm. slave you know mm -hmm. like she did this she did that it's like yeah they tend to exaggerate it because a lot of the stuff that she actually did she was completely within her legal yeah. although not ethical or moral yeah right to do yeah so it gives us a safe way to reckon with this misery and mm -hmm. this tension that mm -hmm. shapes the city of you know the the degradation and enslavement and torture of a race we right. can say but the people rose up and they burned madame Lalaurie, and right. her house still stands as a as a totem and a, a statue and a memoriam right. of right. how we never would let that happen again it's like no we continue to let terrible shit happen for quite a long time oh yeah oh yeah oh that's fascinating though she be that becomes a morality story for sure yeah so a lot of the stories that get covered in that he kind of pulls apart how they reflect sort of a sanitized version mm -hmm. or a an urban legend version honestly i think mm -hmm. is what a lot of them come down to where you know like you grew up with an urban legend version of the actual horrors right. of the han house which right. was someone who was a barber it was doing surgery yeah. on young women. Yeah. Like, that's horrific that is enough. absolutely disturbing. Yeah. But instead of reckoning with the consequences of abortion being illegal and how many young women will die on kitchen tables and get hustled into the back of a truck instead of to a hospital, right. we don't want to talk about that. So we say there's Dracula. Right. Right. We say he was a crazy murderer. Mm -hmm. We say he was this and that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what he was doing, he was an excessive character, but he wasn't doing anything that a lot of other people weren't doing. Right. It's an interesting way to demonize him as a figure in this story and not really discuss the wider implications of abortions were really hard to come by back then. Abortions yeah. are still really hard to come by, and people do awful things to young women in mm -hmm. vulnerable situations. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like you asked, you know, if if ghosts and cryptids are the same as urban legends, and I really feel like urban legends are a lot more, uh, I think the word I want is apocryphal, you know, where they've they've got that kind of doubtful authenticity, but they're just kind of assumed to the listeners, I guess, or assumed to the teller to be true. Whereas the idea of ghosts in general, or the idea of unknown creatures to me, 
feels more genuine, feels more authentic, feels more like, well, I can trace that to biology or I can trace that to spiritualism or I can talk about Mm -hmm. specific instances that I have had, not just my friend's brother's cousin, but I can relate to them on a different, more real-seeming way. I think Does that make right. sense? I think urban legends are grounded. They're not as grounded yeah. as some of those, which is sounds a little strange to say, like, this is a grounded ghost story. Right. But, like, the story of Rue and Hasita Head, yeah. that's the kind of thing where I'm like, well, I could look up. Did anybody named Rue actually live there? Is yeah. there a lighthouse on Hasita Head? Yeah. Was it manned? Was the person who manned it married? Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Whereas with Bandage Man, like... I'm not going to go looking for the incident report on this, you know? I'm not going to be like, all right, well, let's go to the Cannon Beach police station and dig up their files from that era. Right. We'll figure out who... That was another funny thing about the idea of Bandage Man is that, you know, of course, the story morphs a little bit, but people try to explain then, okay, well, who... if If he is Bandage Man, if he's like a vengeful ghost spirit, where did he come from? And one of the backstories that people gave him was that he was a logger who was severely maimed in a sawmill accident and he died as a result of his injuries and i'm like you gotta be fucking kidding me that is the best you came up with was this guy got like super bitched up by a sawmill somebody mummified him to staunch the bleeding or whatever and he died and he came back with and now he has it out for horny teenagers yeah yeah i don't none of this makes sense you you're just throwing darts now going like oh i don't know fuck bandages what's really close by uh he he totally there's that sewing machine shop down the road he totally got cut up by a pair of shears at that machine shop yeah you you kind of work backward right from what seems plausible for where you're at and we all do that with stories but It's, yeah, that's weird. I think the bandages element is interesting because it's not like a weapon, you know? It's not like a hook for a hand. But I could go on for 400 years about the ways that we pathologize and demonize injury, illness, and disability in people. And there's, let me see, I think, where's the green man from? Virginia. Pennsylvania. You were so close. (laughs) So (laughs) Ray Robinson, who was known as the Green Man or Charlie No-Face, right, was an actual human being. He was severely disfigured in a childhood accident, and he couldn't go out in public because people were so upset at his face. So he would go for long walks at night. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, poor man. (laughs) You've made this even creepier. He Well, yeah, but he became this urban legend yeah. where there's, like, the kids tell stories about, you know, who he is and, and oh, he's green because he got this electrical shock and he's this way and that okay. way and he lives in an abandoned house. And it's like, no, this was just a guy who got really injured yeah, and, you know, had a very disfigured face long before anything could be done about that right. cosmetically or maybe he just didn't have access to it. Right. And, he wanted to go move his legs from time to time. <laughs> he didn't didn't want to be cooped up all the time. It sounds a lot like Boo Radley is what that reminds yes. me of, you know? Yeah, it has that Boo Radley. Yeah. I think uh, one of the urban legend 
things, I imagine, if they've got like a lover's lane category, they must also have a category, right, of the people who we locked away are coming back. Oh, there's to be the convict element, right? So I think hook hand has that of like, you know, somebody's escaped from exactly the lunatic asylum Mm -hmm. somebody's escaped from prison Mm -hmm. somebody is somebody who should be on the other side of this wall is on the same side of the wall as me definitely but we have that as well with fears about all these people who we essentially incarcerated for having intellectual or developmental disabilities right right and there's a lot i think boo radley has a big streak of that there's there's a lot of that and so i wonder with bandage man i mean there's a lot you can piece apart if you want to go like full english graduate student on like mm-hmm. oh he breaks the glass and there's blood and there's a lot of like metaphorical breaking and bloodiness happening around this young couple <laughs> yes. and you know damage that remains even after the actual scary part is over yes. and they can never go back to who they were before. Yes. So I don't know. Do you think, are, are urban legends gendered? Are there, do women, do young girls tend to share them more, or young men, or do they share different ones? Ooh, I don't know. I didn't look into that, but that's fascinating. And I would love to know what the answer to that is. I would love to know. I have definitely heard, and it, so this is just totally anecdotal, my own experience. I have definitely heard urban legends more from females than males, from either yeah. girls growing up or women that I know now. But is that is that selection bias? Do I just hang out with women more? Do I just talk to yeah. women more about weird shit that I feel like I'm not going to get judged for saying, like, I totally believe in ghosts to a woman. Am I going to feel mm-hmm. the same way to some men? I don't know. Like, I think the things that some of their legends probably warn about are a little different than ours, but probably not 100% different. Like, I think both have a lot of theories about how people get pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many ways you can get pregnant. In so many ways you can't, like standing up. Oh, yeah, in the shower, Mm -hmm. in a pool, Mm -hmm. in a hot tub. Um, Yep. Don't do it in a butt or you'll have a butt baby. That's right, right. one we were always worried about. <laughs> um, you don't want to have a butt baby. Yeah, I wonder, too. I wonder if, um, I mean, when you you watch any movie about, you know, the coming of age of young men versus young women, it's like the dude's urban legends are like Stand By Me, where there's totally a dead mm-hmm. guy down by the tracks, so and now we have to go on this big, like, idea of masculinity adventure and overcome these obstacles as young men and with chicks it's like don't go to dark alleyways with people because they'll Mm -hmm. they'll mess you up yeah i guess 13 steps to hell is kind of an urban legend right because i think so there's yeah it has so little to do with there actually being anything there it's it's, some people say that there's nothing there you know that they can't find the steps right or that they can but it goes to a mausoleum or that it goes to an underground storage chamber yeah there's we know that there is actually a cemetery, but everything else surrounding the idea of 13 steps to hell definitely hinges on the, oh, yeah, this happened to a guy I know, or it happened to a friend of a friend, or I remember hearing this story as a kid. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no evidence. There's no photo on the Internet that's conclusive that people are like, yeah, here's the steps. You know, there isn't yeah. even that much to it. Like the um, the thousand steps in Spokane. 
at uh, the cemetery, I'm sorry, at uh, Greenwood Memorial Terrace, mm-hmm. you can actually see the steps. You can actually yeah. go to the mausoleum that's supposed to be the devil's chair. You know, it's all the stuff yeah. that surrounds it that you're like, yeah, whatever, take with a big grain of salt. But you can go to the actual place. You can see the actual thing. Mm-hmm. And the 13 steps, it's like, I think most of the stories that you told me about it, I was like, this stands up to no interrogation whatsoever. Falls <laughs> apart like a souffle, my friend. It just crumbles <laughs> under any kind of scrutiny. Yeah, and I think that's the urban legend to me. It's like, oh my god, Bloody Mary came out of the mirror, and then what happened? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and <laughs> like, did did she just leave? Or oh, okay, so bandage man, and they found the bandage, and and then what happened? Oh, yeah, I, <laughs> nothing. I guess insurance paid to fix the windshield. Yeah, did they call the police <laughs> or have any concerns about this gravely injured person who was trying to get help? That poor man. He just he yeah. just wanted help, and they they thought that he was trying to get them. When really he was just like, guys, I'm super bitched up. I got all my shit <laughs> fucked up in this sawmill. Can you help He's me? Like, bam, bam, bam. How do you like my mummy costume? <laughs> I know Halloween is a couple months away. I just want some positive feedback. I'm going to call constructive criticism. Welcome, ah! <laughs> Boris Karloff is my hero. <laughs> Maybe he was like, you should really use protection here. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have a condom? Take some of this tissue from my costume. (laughs) Poor guy. Poor guy. He's just the contraception fairy that they didn't know they needed. Bless his heart. He's out there doing the Lord's work. (laughs) There's your morality right there. They were saying, teenagers, you go have some sex. You just make sure you wrap it before you slap it. (laughs) No glove, no love. That's a bandage man's motto. <laughs> no bandage, no bondage. Whoa, nice. Hey-o. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, get us out of here. All right, friends. If you'd like to hear more urban legends, if you'd like to hear about ghosts, cryptids, food, uh, escaped convicts, murderers, whatever else we feel like telling you, if it's weird and it's in the Pacific Northwest, we'd like to share it with you. And we do that by being ever-present on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, on our website, WeJabroads.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, on Podbean, and every now and then, Liz is amazing and puts together an episode on YouTube. So if you would rather listen to us with an app that you can't close and do other things while listening, check us out on YouTube. We aim to please. Oh my God, Devin. Okay, can I tell you a, a separate but somewhat related story about? Yo, go for it. Yes. Okay. So back in the day, in in September two thousand nine. Okay. We have we have two state mental hospitals in Washington: Eastern State and Western State. Eastern State being kind of up by the Medical Lake area. And, and am I correct? Was... I'm sorry. Western State would be on the west side of the state. Yes. <laughs> Tis, indeed. Uh, so there was this guy named Philip Paul, and uh, Philip is afflicted with severe and persistent mental illness. Mm-hmm. And in 1987, he'd killed an old woman in Sunnyside, Washington, uh, by decapitating her. Okay. And in September of 2009, so you know. 22 years later, right. he and 30 other patients from the hospital were at the state fair enjoying their trip to the fair. All right. You know, 
Uh, cause. All right. Uh, I have feelings yeah. about that, but all right. Yeah, I have. I do too. It, it. Yeah, I get how they got to there, and I bet in ninety nine out of a hundred cases that would have been a therapeutic and clever move. But the problem was, Philip had his backpack with him, and his backpack was full of all of the camping gear that he'd been accumulating by mail ordering it through the camping catalogs he was allowed to have. Oh dear. And Philip took off. Philip pieced out. Philip pieced out of the fair. Philip was not hanging around for the fry bread and the murky shark tank <laughs> and the bands that had one hit in 1987 when he last had a radio. And Philip pieced out. And Philip actually made it all the way to Sunnyside again. Oh, God. Where it took him a couple days. Yeah, it would. So he did some hitchhiking. He traveled on foot. But simultaneously, the day that Philip escaped, I was starting a house-sitting gig for our mutual friend, Cindy. That's right. And Cindy, two things about her house. One, it was in a part of the city that I'm now much more familiar with, but at the time wasn't. Yes. So I was a little disoriented. She had left all her windows open yes. on her ground floor house and had two large dogs. Yes. So the two large dogs thing should have worked in my favor, except that I then came to the house, closed all the windows, you know, searched it like you do, and went to sleep that night and woke up because outside my door I heard, (sighs) (laughs) and was terrified and then thought I heard, (laughs) thought I heard breathing. Oh my God. And muttered whispering. And in fact, that's the sound of two enthusiastic Labrador retrievers licking their junk. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, it is. (laughs) Now I know. You do. (laughs) But by the time I was fully awake (sighs) with all the adrenaline I had needed for that year in my system at once, I was like, okay, this is what's happening. Oh my God. But that was a bad confluence of things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was. I'm glad Philip's back where he's getting the help he needs, and maybe we should get him into a different hobby than camping. Perhaps camping is not for him. Yeah. Perhaps it's just cruel to allow him to dream of camping. Mm -hmm. And collect his camping equipment that then facilitates a lot of off-road living when he goes walkabout. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's my story. Please continue your outro. Sorry. God, that's terrifying. I think that was it. Folks, as always, we want you to rate, review, and subscribe. I'm going to give you a single task, though, because that's supposed to work better and get people to actually do things. So please like us on Facebook. That is what I would really enjoy. Please go find... We're close to 500. Man, if we could break that 500, it would be Christmas come early. I think that'd be really cool. Would you do something special if we broke 500? I would do something special if we broke 500. I'm not sure what it is, but I think at 500, it's definitely time for a pretty big giveaway. And I Mm. do, by the time this episode is out, I will have released the footage of me doing a Ouija board ask because Liz got a thing on Facebook that had over 700 shares. And I told her if it broke 700, I would do this thing. So That's right, you did. If we get over 500 likes on Facebook, will you watch Magic Mike XXL with me and record it? Damn right I will. Yeah, people do Let's it. get it. Liz wants this so bad. She's been talking <laughs> to me about this for so like bad. years. 
Years. Years. Yeah. I talked about it earlier in this episode. She did. I think in every episode for the past five episodes, Liz has found a way to bring up Tatum Channing's butt. I love Charming Tater. Charming Tater, so sweet. (laughs) What a good name. Golden Retriever in a man shape. What's not to like? There's nothing about that I don't enjoy. Friends, we would love for you to live weird. Die weird. And stay weird.